Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile After Podcast. This is episode 159 called Danny. This episode is supported by Receptiva DX. The Receptiva DX test can help couples struggling with unexplained infertility. Getting pregnant isn't easy as so many of you know. Many couples struggle with infertility and unexplained infertility can be particularly frustrating. Women facing unsuccessful IVF may not know that endometriosis is the underlying cause, a disease that can impact the success rates of IVF treatments and often has no symptoms. The Receptiva DX test can help identify endometriosis before an embryo transfer, and it has the potential to save women the stress, anxiety, and cost of multiple failed IVF attempts. The good news is multiple studies show treatment of women with a positive Receptiva DX test improves live birth outcomes by over 50%. Receptiva DX can detect all stages of endometriosis and help women make better decisions in planning for pregnancy. You can learn more at ReceptivaDX.com or download their app, which is also called Receptiva DX. Hello, everybody. This is Allie and Blair, the co-founders of Fertility Rally, and we are here to tell you a little bit about who we are, what we do, and how we can support you on your infertility journey. So we wanted to let you know that Fertility Rally is the membership group that we created. It's the place we wish we had when we were in the thick of it. We offer support groups. We have private Facebook groups. We have tons of events, lots of videos, blog posts, so much content. We're starting to do IRL events as well. And we want to be there for you no matter where you are on your journey. Yeah. Our favorite part, we had no idea where this would go when we started it. And our favorite part about it is watching all of our members, which is like 300 plus at this point, connect and create true lifelong friendships. We have members that are meeting up in real life. We have members that are supporting each other on Instagram. We have members that call each other best friends now. And honestly, like that is the most rewarding thing to see. We had no idea it would go here. And so we're just, we're inviting you to join the Rally Fam. Yeah, it's such a great space. It's a safe space. We also have fun when we can. So we would love for you to be a part of it. Check us out on fertilityrally.com and on Instagram at Fertility Rally. Hope to see you guys soon. All right, guys. So today I am talking to Danny Repsch, who is a very, very proud donor mama. And she's going to tell us her whole story today. She's going to talk about how they started with IUIs, did medicated cycles, and then moving forward to the moment that they realized they were going to go with donor eggs. They're going to talk about how she chose a donor, how she grieved her genetics to becoming pregnant, and so much more. She's also going to talk about, and it's really interesting what she has to say about this, but why they've told Nathan, her young son, from the jump that he was conceived with donor eggs. And she's going to talk about where she is now. And spoiler alert, she is pregnant with their second baby. So it's a great story. Danny is such a great woman and a cheerleader for everybody in this community. She does really great stuff on Instagram. She's like the queen of reels. She always does these really good reels. So definitely check her out. It's D-A-N-I underscore R-E-P-S-C-H is her Instagram handle. And I just want to thank Danny, who I now consider a dear friend. She's really awesome. And it's a great story. So without further ado, this is Danny's infertility story.
Danny. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. It's so good to see you. So the last time I saw you on Zoom was you spoke at Fertility Rally Live with Elena Ridley, which was so wonderful. You guys talked about being donor mamas and we're going to get into all of that. So first of all, thank you for being so open about your story always and for you know sharing it and being out there and helping people. I'm happy to. Yeah. So let's start at the very beginning. I always ask, you know, did you always want to have kids? Did you always want to be a mom? I always did. Um, when I was a little kid, I, I think I went around telling people that I wanted like six kids or something. Oh my God. <laughs> and I also, I also started saving my stuffed animals and Barbies immediately. I had these massive boxes that my parents had to carry throughout the houses that they moved to that were literally labeled for Danny's kids. Oh my God. Did you keep them in good condition or were they like all beat up? Like mine were, (laughs) they went through some flooding. So they didn't, they didn't make it to the end. (laughs) Oh yeah. I used to be so into stuffed animals too. And I was just telling somebody the story of how I got a Barbie tennis ball stuck up my nose when I was younger. (laughs) Speaking of Barbies. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't think they make those anymore. They're like, that's too small. Probably for that reason. Alone. Yeah, probably exactly. I'm probably like on the box with like a red circle <laughs> and it slash through it anyway. So, okay. So you, you had a very maternal instinct and all that from the, from the jump. Yes. Yeah. I really, really wanted kids and that continued on throughout you know, when I became a a young adult and didn't know what I was doing with my life and was looking for the right relationship. But I always knew that I wanted to be a mom. Mm -hmm. Did you know much about your fertility as a young woman? Like, did you know, you know, we talk a lot on here about how people don't know much about their, you know, and I still didn't until I was like in my forties and I got into this whole like infertility world, you know, late thirties, mid thirties, you know, you, I I was always taught it was so easy to get pregnant and just don't get pregnant. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Was it yeah, similar uh, for you? Yeah, I, I just, I, I, you know, breezed through life assuming nothing was going to be wrong. And my mom had always talked about how she just had to think about getting pregnant. And that's how it was for her to, to uh, conceive my sister and I. Mm-hmm. And so I had no reason to believe that, that that wouldn't be the case for me. Everyone in my family, all the women had always been, been healthy uh, reproductively. So that's just what I assumed was going to happen for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So your, your husband's named Dave, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about when did you and Dave get together and did you guys start talking about having a family like soon, soon right away? Yeah. yeah at least I did. <laughs> uh, we, we got together when we were, uh, 20, I was 23 or 24. We met on, on eHarmony. <laughs> okay. And, uh, but both had put out there that, you know, we wanted families. He came from a, from, he, he came from, a, he was one boy of, of three. Yeah, we got married when we were 26, 27, and I immediately had my foot on the gas pedal of I want to have kids young ish. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wanted to have start having kids within that the, the year that we got married, and um, we got on that right away, and mm-hmm. it became very clear very fast that nothing was happening. Interesting. So on the first date, were you like, "Have you seen my stuffed animal collection? Let's go to my parents' <laughs> basement." <laughs> They're a little uh, wet, but <laughs> uh, fortunately, I didn't even have to have that conversation. Yeah. You have to put it all out there, right? So gotcha. I was like, want this many kids. And, right, right. And, yeah. Okay. So when you, you said nothing was happening, what did that look like specifically for you guys? Like you're just oh, trying yeah. and trying and no pregnancies? 
Yeah, we we were trying and trying, and and my mom had made it sound like it was going to happen instantaneously, basically. So I was, I felt so, I felt young, you know, I was 26, 20, 27 years old. Yeah, and, babies. Um, yeah, yeah, truly. And um, never, I, I had like a, irregular periods I kind of had for, for a lot of my my early adult years because um, I was vegan and I was probably a little bit underweight, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I went to doctors and they assured me that there was nothing wrong and all of my hormone levels on paper checked out, you know, perfectly. So that shouldn't be the problem. So I, I, I remember my initial my, my initial consultation with an OB of you know, we've been trying for like five or six months. And for young people, I had read online that that's when you should go get checked out mm-hmm. if nothing is happening. And the, the doctor basically said to me after I came back with a inexplicably, you know, sort of clean bill of fertility health, she basically said, calm down. Like it's going to happen. Why, you know, kids are forever. Why mm-hmm. are you so, why are you rushing it? Just like take a breath. Wow. Did she actually <laughs> say calm down? Oh yeah. She literally said, oh me like, you know, motherhood is forever. So it, 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 it's going to happen. You're very healthy. You're very young. And just like, you need to take a breath and like, how did that make you feel? Oh, if anything, I, I, it it made me even more, you know, bound and determined to make this happen. So I, I had to go, I had to ask to see a different doctor and someone who was going to take me more seriously. And yeah. The, the next, the next step for that was, well, let, well, she, you know, they basically said, you do look healthy on paper. Well, let's check out your partner. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had to send my poor 27 year old husband for sperm analysis, which he mm-hmm. did not like, but that's always they, fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, Dave, fun. what are you doing this morning? Um, well, yeah. and I feel like, I feel like that's also your first foray into this is really going to suck because you know, it's, it's such an eye opener when men have to, you know, into a cup yes, <laughs> in a, in a sterile room. Absolutely. Uh, usually the, the first of many, unfortunately, not but, fun uh, for anyone. Yeah. Oh, and, um, his analysis came back. That was, um, it, it, it was basically, he was basically healthy too. There was like a morphology issue, but his sperm count was so high. It was almost abnormally high hmm. that the doctors told us that the, the morphology basically canceled itself out because he had so many swimmers that okay. one good looking one was going to get to the egg. Okay. So he shouldn't have been the problem either. So that was when they finally looked at us and said, okay, this, this young couple has been, been trying for six months and nothing's happening. So let's, I, I, they referred me to a fertility clinic in Vancouver mm-hmm. from Canada mm-hmm. and they sat us down and basically looked at us the same way our first OB had. And she, she was like, what do you want to do? What do you want to get out of this? And I was like, a baby. Yeah. <laughs> what do you're you like expect? a banana bread? Like what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so she goes, okay, well let's ease into it. Let's do some IUIs and uh, I'm sure that'll work because there's nothing wrong with you guys. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is unexplained. Let's, let's make sure that that timed intercourse and, and all these other things that, that let, let's rule out that you've been basically doing it wrong is what I felt like she'd been saying to me. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, we did IUI number one, two, three, and nothing happened. Oh. And, um, they, I, I, they were medicated cycles. I was on Clomid, which, okay. Was not- Did you have Clomid crazies? 
I had Clomid hot flashes. My husband okay. thought that was hysterical that I was this 27 year old rolling down the window in the car. Yes. Hanging my head out like a dog. That's no good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I remember, I remember each time we did a cycle of I, IUI, I was like, this is going to work. Well, this one will work. Right. This one will work for sure because there's nothing wrong with us. Right. Right. But were you like dying inside? Like, were your friends getting pregnant and were you guys, did it yeah. have any like effect on you and Dave's relationship? Interestingly, interestingly, I was of my friend group. I was the first to sort of be married and okay. try to start a family. Gotcha. So I, and I wasn't sharing all of this very, no, I wasn't sharing it publicly at all. I, I think in the beginning, I just, I, I just was in this, I had just stepped into this world of what happens when it's not happening. And mm-hmm. I had known nothing about infertility. I, no one had ever talked to me about it. So mm-hmm. I couldn't believe what was happening to us. Didn't understand it. Felt like the only person in the world that was going through it. And I, I, each, each step of the way I I was learning about IUI and IVF Mm -hmm. for the very first time. I'd never read about it. I'd never never needed to. So where were you getting your information? Uh, Just, just mostly from our clinic, but I did start to wade into, you know, online forums and, and, and things like that and just begin to step into the trying to conceive community online. Okay. Did you have like your Instagram or anything yet at this point? Don't, I, I had a personal Instagram account, but I don't think, I think I was mostly just, you know, using Dr. Google at this point. I had right. discovered <laughs> the Instagram community at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, after three rounds of IAUI and I'd never even had like I, in my life, I'd never even, I've never had a pregnancy scare. I'd never had anything. Uh-huh. They, they, they sort of looked at us and said, okay, the next step, if you, if you want to ramp things up would be IVF. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to Dave, that'll work no problem because right. all they got to do is like, I'm, I, I am, they've said I'm young and healthy. They've said it won't be difficult to get eggs for me. You've got good sperm. So let's just go for it. Let's do one round. Yep. And we did. And our, our first round was telling, like, I, I remember being in the, what's the room, um, like the recovery room. room? Yes. <clears throat> when they tell you how many follicles they retrieve and how many are mature and they're like, you know, can be fertilized. And they, I, I had been, I had been thinking numbers because I'd been, I, I was on forums. I was reading about what to expect from what other women had experienced. And I was thinking, Oh, I'm going to have like 20 or 30 years, some, some, you know, incredible number. And we're going to have so many embryos to choose from. They come in and they go, well, we got seven follicles, but only uh, we think four are mature. So we're going to fertilize those and then we'll see what happens. And they fertilize them and you wait for the, you know, you wait for the, the three-day phone call and you wait for uh-huh. the five-day phone call. And I never, I ne- this is a common theme for my three other egg retrievals, but uh-huh. I never would get a five-day phone call. My, my small little handful of follicles of fertilized embryos would always um, arrest or, you know, not be non-transferable by or before day three. Okay. Um, Yeah. And the embryology crushing, right? Were you just like devastated? Oh, completely devastated. And Dave and I were just, 
crushed and in, in, in complete disbelief because mm-hmm. they kept saying that you're healthy. There's nothing wrong with you. You're, I don't even remember the words, the, the, uh, the terminology that women use for like FSA and like mm-hmm. AMA, all, all right. these, yeah, all, all FSH. These, um, yeah. 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 Um, uh, all my hormone levels always came back great. Like I wasn't in the category of women who was in early menopause or, um, I didn't fit into any of the boxes for women who were be, being low responders or had poor quality eggs mm-hmm. or no eggs at all. You know, I, right. I should have been producing good follicles that would make healthy embryos. And for whatever reason, I was not every single time, no matter what, no matter what, um, protocol the, the doctors tried and they tried each time they, they did something different. Mm-hmm. And no matter what they did, no matter what they put me on, no matter if they did like long protocol, slow protocol, whatever, I can't remember what they were called, but uh-huh. nothing changed the outcome. In fact, my third and final, my third and final round with my own eggs, I went into it having done my own research and decided I'm going to do a healthy egg diet for three months prior, uh-huh. push this off for three months and do 90 days of what I had read was like the best thing for your eggs. Uh-huh. It was basically like keto with some other things, you know, thrown in there. Uh-huh. I thought you just said Tito's and I was like, vodka. <laughs> <laughs> that's where my head's at. No, that would work. Um, <laughs> no, it was like, a, it was like a keto diet and it was going to be like high fat. And, and anyway, no caffeine. I, I went all in. I was so invested yeah. and, um, went for my, my third and final egg retrieval. And I think I, they, they came into the recovery room and they said they had gotten like 18 and I, I couldn't believe it. It was the highest number that I'd, I'd ever gotten. I was ecstatic. I thought this is it. This is, we're finally going to get some healthy embryos. And, um, in fact, we, we had also, because we knew it was, this was like my closure round. This uh-huh. was my, I was not going to be doing this again with my own eggs. We decided to get donor sperm and we fertilized half of my 18 eggs with my husband's sperm and the other half with a donor, because I, we just wanted to rule out every possible scenario. Mm-hmm. And, um, they called me on day three and I think we had, I don't know, it, 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 the number had dropped from 18 fertilized to like five or something like that. Oh God, yeah. And, and then by day five, I had none. <laughs> I had, once again, wow. I had none from such a huge number. And it, that, that just proved that it wasn't my husband's issue. Donor sperm didn't even work. Mm-hmm. So there was some uh, unexplainable quality issue with my eggs is how uh-huh. they phrased it. Okay. So what was the doctor telling you in terms of next steps and things? He, he basically sat us down and said what you don't want to hear, which is you can keep going with IVF. It only takes one. Eventually, if we keep harvesting your eggs, we will get a good one that will make a, a, an embryo that we can transfer. But at this point, I've done three rounds, three egg retrievals, zero to transfer zero, which, yeah. which basically, you know, doesn't happen very often. At least at some point you usually get like a day three or something, something to throw in there to, to try to get pregnant, mm-hmm. but I, I'd never even made it to that point. So I just thought to myself, you know, like I, I can't put myself through this hell any longer. What are the other possibilities? Like, are we looking at adoption? What, what, what do I do? And, and the doctor said, well, I mean, you can, 
you you can't there is there is donor eggs and the possibility of you becoming pregnant through donor eggs is as high as 60 to 70 percent and I thought why has no one why had no one said this to me before right you know like I felt like I'd been suffering for a quite a long time with an, an egg quality that clearly was not going to change no matter what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, so he said, well, if you want to move into that, then we can open that door and start talking about it. But, uh, yeah, he, he just kept leaving on the table, keep trying with your own eggs. And I had to advocate for myself and say, uh-uh. like at this point, you know, I'm, I'm 28, I'm, I'm going to be 29 soon. I've been doing this for what feels like forever mm-hmm. and getting nowhere. Right. Good for you for advocating for yourself to go down that road. And, you know, hopefully now that people like you and so many others are talking about this, you know, that you, people will know sooner into their journey that it's an option, right. So that they don't have to suffer for so I had, long. I had never heard of it before. I, wow. to me, it sounded That's like so interesting. Yeah I, yeah. I, I couldn't believe that that was even an option. Yeah. And, uh, that was like me with IVF, Danny. Like I honestly was like, oh, it's for people that want multiples like Octomom. Like <laughs> that's how clueless I was, you know, for 10 years in their, ago. In their 50s, right. Like totally, I, I always yeah, thought, I just yeah. thought it was like weird. Like I thought it was weird. Yeah. And that sounds so silly now, but I'll admit it because I was totally clueless. Like I had no idea mm-hmm. and I was very wrong. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So, okay. So did you guys have some, some hard conversations about that or was it like, okay, we're going to do this? Yeah, we definitely hit pause at that point because I'm, it just, it felt so bizarre to me. And I kept, I, I kept it to myself before even sort of showing or um, explaining it to my parents. I, mm-hmm. I, my biggest hang up was I, I thought that my, um, my dad, who is, he, uh, my dad's a lot older than my mom. He's um, well, so I'm, I'm 33. My dad is going to be 84 this year. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought that he would never want me to go down that road. And, and, and he would think that it was bizarre and that a child that was from a donor egg would not be related to him. Mm-hmm. And I just convinced myself that it was going to be this incredibly difficult conversation. And my, my parents had been incredibly helpful in assisting us financially up until that point with mm-hmm. fertility treatments. And this next one was the big one. The donor egg cycle was like putting a huge down payment on a home. Like right. it, was, it was hefty and we never, ever could have pursued it without my family's help. Mm-hmm. So to put that on the table and explain it to him, I was just like, I was completely terrified, but I, we sat down and had the conversation when my dad was just like, yes, like, I, I don't care. I want you to, you want to be a mother. I want you to be a mother by any means possible. And wow. this is just what we're going to do. Yeah. So the next, were you surprised by his reaction? I was, I was, I mean, I, I, looking back, I shouldn't have been my, my parents have never, ever in my life given me any reason to doubt they love and support me unconditionally, but just, just knowing generationally that the, the gap and, and, you know, where, how he would have grown up and what that would have sounded like to other people, his age, I was just so impressed. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And and from there, uh, our our clinic just needed us to 
be signed off by a counseling session that they provided for you. And it's with a counselor who specializes in donor conception. They basically just make sure that you are actually comfortable with the concept of not sharing your genetics. And it was actually our second conversation with this counselor because we had to do it for my husband when we were potentially using donor sperm. So it was sort of like a repeat refresher course when we mm-hmm. went to talk to her about potentially using donor eggs. Right. The, the, uh, the biggest line that they drive home is don't keep this a secret. Do not pursue this path to parenthood, basically, if you're not willing to be 100% open and honest with your child. And um, Dave and I, I remember before sitting, before like going into the counseling office, we had discussed it together. We had discussed it with our mothers, I think, and we were bound and determined we were going to keep it a secret. No one needs to know. The really? child, yeah, the child doesn't need to know. It's the healthiest. We know best, and let's go talk to this person. And so, why did you guys feel that way? Because we didn't know anything about it, and mm-hmm. and you sort of think to yourself, like, if the kid looks enough like mom and dad, that's all that goes into it. And we're so oblivious, like, just just completely, mm-hmm. completely inexperienced and oblivious. But you sort of think that way, and you, and you think, and 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 you know. I was licking wounds. I, the thought of not being genetically related to my child was still painful. Like it, this was, this was only months, months into maybe even weeks into finding out that my eggs didn't work period full stop. So I was still reeling from that feeling. And anyone who is, has been told this knows mm-hmm. the feeling it's like, you're, you're basically grieving a, the loss of a loved one. Mm-hmm. It feels like someone's died. It feels like, the child you thought you were going to have is that dream is dead mm-hmm. and life's going to suck. And this is just sort of like a backup or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you you tell yourself what you need to tell yourself to get through it. And what some people tell themselves is that they'll keep it a secret and that that will help. And that will, that will make you feel better. Right. But, uh, Thank you for so- saying that. Cause I know that's not easy to admit, but yeah, I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's so, it, it's, oh, it's un- incredibly painful. And some people need, you know, months and maybe even years to come to terms with the loss of their genetics. And some people need less time, fortunately mm-hmm. I needed less time mm-hmm. and a really good talking to from a counselor who said that this is the way it needs to be done. This is what's healthiest for your child. They need to know hopefully from the earliest possible age that they, where their genetics actually come from and it becomes just a part of their story. And, and Dave and I walked out of that room that just that, that first one hour session going, okay, that's what we're going to do. What we said before BS, we're not doing that. that right. That's wrong. What she said is right. And then we had to convince our parents. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a <laughs> process. A little, yeah. It was a little more slower going, but, um, it's been pretty smooth sailing ever since then. Uh-huh. Okay. So getting into finding the donor, can you talk about that process a little bit? Yeah, that's bizarre world because it's basically the setup like, um, well, for, we used an, a, a frozen egg bank, um, donor egg bank USA and okay. their, their database is like state of the art. And it's, it's, 
it's beautiful. Uh, the profiles are all set up and I'm a person who met my husband on an online dating app. So I know what these profiles, like it was, it was eerily similar to a, mm-hmm. to, to, to a dating profile site. Uh, you're, you're scrolling through, you know, women n- n- unnamed because it's an anonymous, mm-hmm. um, an anonymous donation, but you're scrolling through pictures and, um, a little write up of like physical characteristics and mm-hmm. what they, what they like and what they're good at and their background and where they come from. And then there's some, they donor egg bank USA has pictures of the donor at time of donation. So when they're, you know, young adult women and also childhood pictures as well. So mm-hmm. it's, it, like I said, it's a surreal experience to scroll through a catalog basically of women who are going to be your child's genetic parent. hundred percent. What were you guys looking for? Did you have like a list of, you um, know, that your, your short list of like qualities or, the, you know, health the, things? Yeah. The, the best piece of advice I was given from this counselor was just stick to stick to the a couple physical characteristics and let the rest go. Because when it comes down to it, you are the nurturer and you, 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 the mother are responsible for, you know, sharing traits and, and values and, 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 and molding little people into who they will become Mm -hmm. genes to some extent influence, you know, how we behave and everything. But Mm -hmm. a lot of, uh, most of that comes down to day to day, who they spend their time with and who they're, who they're growing up around. So if your child looking a little bit like you is appealing and sort of makes the process, the idea of the process easier then you should just look for physical characteristics, which is what we did. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm a pretty tall lady. I'm five foot nine. So we wanted someone who was tall Mm -hmm. and I I have blue eyes and fair hair. So that was all we looked for. You're stunningly gorgeous. I will add. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. You Um, we, we just looked for somebody who, um, was over five foot seven, basically Mm -hmm. and had blue eyes and, and, uh, light hair, light colored hair. Mm-hmm. And that narrows it down pretty quick. You can, you, you add filters onto these, these databases and bam, suddenly you're looking at going from 400 faces to like 30. So, okay. Okay. So that probably feels good to at least narrow it down to some capacity, right? It does. And it's it, it, the, the, probably the weirdest part is when your husband is scrolling, uh, you know, I don't know how people, maybe people do this differently than I did. Maybe only um, the women are, are, are the int- intended parents, mm. uh, the intended mothers are looking at uh, potential donors, but we did it together, my husband and I. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what, I think actually what we did is I would go through and pick like a top five or something like that. And then he would go through and do the same thing. And we st- sort of looked to see if we had any, you know, duplicates. Mm-hmm. And it's weird to, to watch your husband look at these women and, and be like, oh, he likes that one. Why? Right. <laughs> what You're like, well, she do? got that. I don't have like, yeah, I know I've talked or. to somebody before that um, talked about how they were a little bit, you know, got jealous. And then they were like, what am I, why am I jealous? This is crazy. But well, you know, we're, we're all human. Like that's... Yeah, for me, I didn't feel jealous. It was more like, I'd look at the ones that he would choose and I would go, Oh God, does he think I look like that? <laughs> oh, okay. Right. Interesting. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in the end, we actually never had a problem. We, we, we ended up 
we, we picked a donor the first time um, pretty quickly. And I, I had to go through this process twice because our first donor, you get a lot of eggs, which is like a grouping of eggs because that I, I believe they split the eggs up between couples mm. and, um, uh, my lot, I believe from the, our first donor was eight. And when they were shipped to my clinic and then fertilized by my husband, suddenly I only had one. <laughs> and, uh, the, the programs that these egg banks offer cover you in situations like that. I think if it, I think that if you get less than two or, or three or something like that, they allow you to uh, start a cycle over. But anyway, I only got one egg, one um, healthy embryo to transfer from our mm-hmm. first donor egg cycle, and we transferred it, and it was my first transfer ever. And I thought, oh well, this will work. I've made it till this point. Now I'm using a donor's eggs. Oof, this it's going to be easy breezy. Right. And, uh, transferred it, no pregnancy, like no, n- not even like yeah. Oh wow. Nothing. Yeah. So that was a huge, again, it was, it was like just an absolutely devastating blow of mm-hmm. how long could this possibly go on? Like right. I'm, I'm doing all the things I've given up my genetics. I've given up everything that was important to me to, to get pregnant. And somehow this is still not working. I've paid all the money. Like where's my baby? Yeah, completely. Yeah. And, uh, I just had to, you know, go with the flow, trust the process. We picked another donor and, um, because I had paid for an, an assured refund program, I, I was covered for up to six cycles of donor eggs, basically up to six cycles with six different donors, which is daunting. But anyway, I'm glad that I, we had paid for the, uh, the, um, security plan because my first donor didn't work. I got to go back to the drawing board, pick another donor and this sort of felt like the magical donor. She felt like, I, I remember when we finalized our selection, I thought, this is it. She was, it just felt right. It was that gut feeling. Yes. Everything, all the stars aligned, all mm-hmm. the things we had looked for looked right. It, 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 it felt, it felt so right. So we, um, that from that lot, we got six eggs. Yeah. Six eggs, five fertilized. They were beautiful, beautiful embryos. I got to transfer one fresh and it was my son, Nathan, that was born nine months later. Oh, wow. Four were frozen for future use. Okay. So tell me about finding out you were pregnant with Nathan. Oh, it was, it, it, it was the, the moment you wait for, um, I, I couldn't believe it. It felt like it, it, it didn't feel real. It took a really long time for it to sink in for Dave and I both that we were actually going to be parents after trying everything that we could think of. Yeah. And, um, it just erased so much of my immediate trauma of losing my genetics and the, the, the sadness part of, Oh, you know, this baby isn't going to look like me or, or have a little piece of me that just was gone by suddenly I had life in my belly. Like you're supposed to. Right. And I felt all the things that they told me I would feel. I felt him move. I felt him, you know, it was just like life-changing. It completely, it completely healed my grief of losing my genetic tie. Wow. That's so interesting. and so powerful. It is. And, and I, I, I should also say it's not like that for everybody. Like Mm -hmm. I I had been warned 
that it could take time. It could take time even after the baby was born to feel bonded, which is true for some mothers who, you know, that, that it's genetically related to them anyway. But for me personally, I just, I felt amazing right away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I felt bonded to Nathan when he was in my stomach. It was great. Mm -hmm. It was, it was so special. Wow. So how old is he now? He is going to be three in a week. Okay. Fast forward. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So then what happened after that? Were you, you know, thinking immediately like, all right, it it happened. We want to do it again. Or like, what was your thought process? We, we, um, we knew always that we had four, um, four frozen. And that just felt to me and Dave, like four more kids. Like I, Mm -hmm. I, I thought it's, it's funny how (laughs) once you get pregnant, uh, even after so much struggle with infertility, I, because he was like my first fresh transfer, I, I just trusted that the embryos that I had remaining would be as healthy and as viable um, and leading to pregnancy as, as had happened with Nathan. So we just thought, okay, well, like take it easy because we, do we want five kids? But that, that's how many we could potentially have. Mm-hmm. How big is our house? Do we have enough rooms? And, and we, we just were so, we were just so once again, almost like oblivious to right. secondary infertility. Sure. So we thought we had time. So we took our time and a year and a half went by and we finally started talking about, well, maybe it's time to do another transfer. What do you think? Took our time. I did some more tests, just made sure that I was healthy, did the whole hysteroscopy thing and all, all the other things I needed to get done. And then we geared up to do our first frozen embryo transfer in um, the winter of 20, I guess, 2019, 2020, 2020, maybe. Mm-hmm. Not 20. Okay. And, um, um, we, uh, you know, I, I did all the things. It was like deja vu. I injected the press progesterone, I, the endometrium, I, all, <laughs> <laughs> all I love that things. sound effect. Yep. <laughs> Get it up in there. Um, yeah. And, uh, and you know, went through the process. I, I remember laughing my way through it. I, I reported a lot of it. I, I shared so much of it with my following on Instagram, mm-hmm. like almost all of it, like 99% of it. And was so confident that the next embryo that they transferred would na- be Nathan's sibling, but mm-hmm. we transferred and I, uh, the first one was, was a chemical pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was a little eye opening for me, but I, I just thought, okay, it's, it was cool. We got three more. They, my clinic offered me to do a back-to-back cycle, go jump right into the next one. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did just went right back onto all my meds and that second transfer was, um, I miscarried at almost eight weeks God damn. and yeah, that one really messed me up. It, yeah. uh, it brought back so much, like I, I would say PTSD from just going through infertility the first time. Yeah. I had kind of like laughed my way through, through a lot of the, um, the prep work for the, the two FETs. But once that second back to back sort of miscarriage hit me, Oh, it messed up my head. And Mm -hmm. I had to take a long, long break from fertility treatments and decide if I, if I could even continue, like having one child for Dave and I was a very, very real possibility, more, more than a possibility for about six months. Uh And then, um, 
I think how did, did, what did you do during that time to like self-heal? Oh, I, <laughs> a lot. Um, I, I was, I had to be medicated actually. I, like I, I, I fell into such a dark hole of anxiety and depression that I had never experienced before. Mm. It was, it was very scary. I, mm-hmm. I did talk therapy with through counseling mm. and I, yeah. And I went on antidepressants and just took time, lived my life. Mm-hmm. Ima- um, imagined l- life with just one child and mm-hmm. enjoyed it and, mm-hmm. and let myself completely not think about fertility treatments for a good five to six months, just yeah. to care myself and my kid and my husband and put that on pause to see what that felt like. And at, at the end of it, Dave and I sort of looked at each other and said, we've got these, what I guess would have been two embryos left will we regret it forever if we don't give it one more shot or should we just close the door? And we decided eventually to say, okay, there's two embryos left. I don't have two more tries in me. I have one. Mm -hmm. So let's try one more time. This is me, our closure round on all fertility treatments forever. I mean, I'm sure five years down the line, if we had changed our minds, we, we could have easily opened the door again, but it felt good to say, this will be our last try. Mm-hmm. And so we went for it and I got pregnant. Wow. Chills. Yeah. yeah I couldn't believe it. Um, yeah. The Hail Mary. The Hail Mary. It came yeah. through and, and it was a, it was an immediate, strong, positive, high beta. Yeah. It, it was just the, the sort of answer that we've been looking for. How mm-hmm. you know, you're meant to have one more baby. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a full biological, biologically related, genetically related sibling to Nathan. So it's okay. what, what I had always hoped for, but didn't really believe I could have. And you are, how far along are you now, Danny? I'm now, uh, I'm in the middle of 29 weeks. So uh-huh. I'm, well into my, I'm into my third trimester now, and this is real. Another yes. baby is coming into our household. How are you feeling? I feel great. Um, this pregnancy has been really smooth sailing for me, but it's been so different from my first because I have a crazy ass toddler, right? (laughs) You know, (laughs) controlling my world. Whereas my first pregnancy, I lay on the couch and ate grapes and people fan my face with palm leaves. Right. And this one you're like, Oh wait, I have to take care of somebody else too. Oh yeah. Um, So do you have the anxiety of pregnancy after infertility that so many of us have? My first trimester was rough. I had a couple bleeding episodes, which I had, I hadn't had with Nathan. I, I, and this was only like, you know, I, I, this was only my real second pregnancy. So I didn't know that you could bleed during pregnancy and Mm -hmm. they could, I kept going to the emergency room and they kept telling me that they couldn't find a source, but mm. I might lose it. I might not. So it was, it was, it was a little rough in the the first. I'm so scary. Yeah. 10 to 12 weeks, mm-hmm. just feeling like you're, you know, what's going to happen and you're going to lose it just like you did before, but mm-hmm. st- it's stuck in there. And mm-hmm. then my second trimester, I was like, just completely healthy and tons of energy and feeling good and less complications than I had with Nathan. So wow. it's been, it's been great. That's so great. I have to say, I'm looking through your Instagram. Everyone needs to follow Danny underscore Repsh. So it's D-A-N-I underscore R-E-P-S-C-H. Go look at her IG. The, my, one of my favorite pictures. And my son has some of the same t-shirts as your son, oh, cool. um, which is cute. But one of my favorite pictures is when you, 
you guys dressed up as Grease for Halloween? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you're Sandy and he's Nathan's little T-bird, like a Danny or like a Kaniki. It's so cute. Yeah. And I'm 14 weeks pregnant there. So I'm like, oh my gosh, out of those freaking Jeep, like leather. Please. Leather you pants. are not at all. You look amazing, <laughs> but I know the feeling. So, okay. So tell me before we wrap, you know, you're so vocal about being a proud donor egg mama, which I love and appreciate so much as do so many other people in this community. You're such a cheerleader for Mm -hmm. women in general. So thank you for that. But what would you say to somebody who might be new to the donor egg or the donor in general world? Like, is there anything you wish you would have known, but when you first got started? Well, there's a big thing I wish I had known and I don't want to go too far into it for timing, but, um, Uh, I was encouraged by this fertility counselor that I saw to choose any donor that just felt right. But what I have learned in the last, I'm going to say year from different voices in the community speaking up and largely from the donor conceived people's community. So so adults that were conceived via donors, Mm. a, what I already knew and am promising to, to do with my children is don't let them find out later in life. It's damaging. It's, it damages your relationship. It damages their relationship with themselves. Mm. All the things that I had been told were true. Uh, the healthiest mode of, of telling your child is to, to just make it, make them feel like they have always known where they, they come from and, Mm. and, you know, genetically who they are. Um, but the, the other piece to that is we need to be using known donors. Um, an anonymous donation is a thing of the past. Mm. Uh, doctors used to encourage, uh, recipient parents to not tell and, uh, therefore use an anonymous donor who doesn't want to know future children that may come from the donation. Mm-hmm. But the, it, it, I, I only recently really started putting myself in the shoes of my son one day when he's an adult or a person who knows that their donor conceived and would I want to potentially meet that person one day? Would I potentially want to meet the person who donated my genetic material? Uh, I probably would. And Mm. if I choose a donor who is closed and not open to the possibility of meeting, you know, the future children, future genetic children, then you're closing that door for your kid. And I always, I want my children to have every opportunity available to them in life, but especially the ones that are going to help them understand who they are and feel complete. So here I am, I've, I've used a a closed donor. All I can do now is um, advocate for other parents that are going to be walking down this path and work my butt off to try to find this person for my kids, if they want to meet them one day, how would you even do that? There's methods. Um, for one thing, 23andMe and those other DNA, you know, that you can you, you spit into a tube, or I don't really know mm-hmm. how you swab your cheek or whatever, and you send yeah. it in and then you find out your family tree. Okay. Um, that's how a lot of people, a lot of donor conceived people find out that they are donor conceived if their oh. parents don't tell them. And it's wow. just, just devastating, but so interesting. So you can do DNA testing to find, that's how a lot of donor conceived people find their half siblings. Mm. Um, that's because you're, you'd be looking for people who are of similar age to, and therefore probably trying out things like 23andMe and, 
and DNA testing home kits. But um, as for finding a a donor parent, um, a genetic parent that initially was closed, the the method I'm going to try anyway is to reach out to my clinic and have it put on file that I would, if the donor some somewhere down the, their, the line, if they haven't already, changes their mind to having an open donation, then I would like to be notified and I would like her to know that I have children from her mm-hmm. donation. So interesting and so much to consider there. Thank you for sharing that. So much. So there's so much to it that I didn't know about going into it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what a story. I'm so thrilled for you and glad you're feeling good. So tell me um, just on that same tip, what have you started telling Nathan and what will you tell your future babe as well about where they came from? We, we talk very openly, always have since ever since Nathan, you know, first came out (laughs) about uh, his, uh, you know, his physical appearance. It looks like mommy, but it also looks like his donor things that things that, you know, are just going to be filtered through a, a tiny ch- baby's ears and, you know, go in one, in one and out the other. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of the, the idea because they, they reach an age and you don't know when it is when they start absorbing everything like a, a little sponge and you're not sure what's getting in and what's not, but uh, so much of it is sinking in. So we, 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 we just talked about it very openly, but only in the last, I'm going to say since he turned 18 months to two, I, I got a lot of kids books that are amazing mm-hmm. that d- discuss their, their background with them and, and, you know, in, in very gentle and childlike terminology about how mommy and daddy couldn't make a baby. So they needed to, to find another lady who had, you know, eggs that she didn't need to use and gave them to mommy and daddy to ha- put a baby in mommy's tummy. And, and uh, it just gently explains it to them. And um, we have a, a favorite one. It's by a company called Sensitive Matters. I, mm-hmm. I can send that information to you too, if mm-hmm. you want to be able to post that. It uh, customizes the books. So you sort of put your, your faces in car- cartoon form into the cool. right into the book. And it's called, Nathan, I can't, what's it called? Anyway, it puts Nathan's name right into the story cool. as well. Yeah. And uh, started reading that he absolutely loves it because he loves to see himself and familiar faces in a book. He thinks that's incredible. But uh, then at the end, you get to add like a little photo album. So there's, there's a whole bunch of our actual pictures that, that I integrated into the book that explains how we, we couldn't make a baby. And, and this is Nathan looks like mommy and daddy, but he also looks like a donor and, and it introduces the word donor and in the last, uh, I actually posted about this recently, Nathan is almost three. And um, in the last little while, when now that he's so chatty and talking so much, I asked him the other day, we were talking about eggs. And I said, you know how mommies are broken? And he goes, yeah, like mommy's eggs broken. Mommy and daddy had to go to the doctor. And so he retained all that. And I said to him, Nathan, do you remember what the lady is called who gave us her extra eggs to make you? And he goes, donor. And it was just like the sweetest thing of my entire life. Okay, my friends, thank you so much for listening today. Thanks again, Danny. Love what you're doing for this community. She's super approachable, guys. So if you want to reach out to her, definitely follow her on IG at Danny underscore Repsh. 
Also, if you guys need some support, you know that Fertility Rally is around. We would love to have you join our fam. We have three support groups per week now. We have a new one on Sundays. So we've got Sunday, Monday, and Wednesday. We've got private Facebook groups. We have a sisterhood of badasses who've been through everything. So we would love to have you no matter where you're at in your journey. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me or you can go to our Instagram at Fertility Rally. Make sure you also follow Infertile AF Stories Instagram for bonus photos, giveaways, and so much more. So thanks again for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time.